it's where I really got the thought. I felt like the God gave it to me about the term mother figures to expand our concept of mother. So Mother's Day is a special time dedicated to celebrating and honoring the women who gave birth to us, nurtured us, and has provided loving care throughout our lives. At least that's the ideal. But not everyone has the ideal mother backstory. Some find Mother's Day difficult to celebrate because they do not have memories of a mother worthy of honor. If that's you, allow me to lovingly challenge you to expand your concept of mother. As this Mother's Day, at the time it was fast approaching, it is now here, reflect back. I'm going to ask you today, reflect back. Even if you had a, a great mom, reflect back and consider the women who played a significant role in the story of your life. Maybe during a singular event or a specific season of your life. Those women were mother figures for you in those moments. As you reflect back on your life, make a list of the women who in some way served as mother figures in key moments of your life. I'm gonna, it's going to be an action item I'm going to have you guys do uh, at some point. You can do it in the middle of the service. Uh, don't let it get in the way of saying amen when it's appropriate. Uh, so I do, want you, I do want you to remain engaged. But um, I do want you to reflect on, it, on that and see where God provided a mother figure in your life when you needed it at that time. And, uh, and let the memory of them as you recall them, let God provoke you to honor them in some way. I encourage you to choose to honor those mother figures. Redemption is present and available in every backstory, even the worst of them. On this Mother's Day 2022, I pray that God gives you the grace to honor your mother figures as part of his redemption of your story. And we're going to, having said that, let's start in Exodus chapter 2, and I'll start reading the first verse. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds of the riverbank. Now, we know from the, the book of Numbers, chapter 26, verse 59, that the Levite man referred to here, his name is Amram. And the woman who became his wife and gave birth to this child we're going to talk about this morning is Jochebed. Jochebed is how you uh, pronounce her name. They are the father and mother of this child that we just read about being born, whose name is Moses. Now, verses 2 and 3 
shed some light on something that times could not have been very good because for some reason, the child that she bore, she had to hide this child for three months. And when she could no no longer hide him, she came up with a plan to give him up. So Jochebed gave birth to Moses during some of the worst of times. We can't determine how or when we come into this world. We may come into this world uh, in a great family. We may come into this world with a, with, with a lot of money, a lot of, a lot of everything that every child needs to flourish and be all that that child can be. But we may also come into this world in bad circumstances, in jacked up families, where one or both parents either abandoned the child or had to give the child up. It was in those kind of circumstances that Moses was born. The people of Israel were already being oppressed and enslaved by the new Egyptian king. And that's bad enough, but it gets worse. Before this child Moses was born, the new king added to their misery by sending out a formal decree ordering every newborn Hebrew son to be thrown into the Nile River. Now we just read in the Bible, in the portion of scripture that we read in the first three verses, that Moses' mother hid him for three months. Now, when you read about a mother hiding a child from people who are a danger to that child, you immediately think fear is the motivation. If she and her husband were in faith, they take a stand and rise up against the, 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 the evil that's threatening their child. But instead of doing that, they're cowering and hiding their own baby boy while other baby boys are being slaughtered. Our first instinct might be to think that they're being motivated by doubt, fear, and unbelief. But the Bible also says in Hebrews chapter 11 that by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. By his parents, I know daddy isn't mentioned in those first three verses. It said this is what Jochebed did. But, but by his parents, they were in oneness. They knew that this child was given to them by God. And they weren't just going to concede to an edict that said this child needed to be thrown into the river. They were going to go to God with this and trust God with their baby boy. Amen? Circumstances don't have to be ideal for God to work mightily in your situation. And so the parents feared God. By faith they hid Moses because they saw that the child was beautiful 
And, everybody say and. Everybody thinks their baby is beautiful. All babies are beautiful. Amen? So that's no surprise. They're, they're a little biased there, I'm sure. I wish we could see the baby pictures. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. See, you got to be careful how you judge the actions or perceived inaction of your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Because it looks like they're cowering in a safe room, afraid of the king's edict. But the Bible tells us that what they did was in faith because they weren't afraid of the king's edict. They had judged that, you know what, we might get in trouble for doing this. We might lose our lives, but our baby is worth it. We believe this baby has purpose. We believe this baby has calling from the Lord. And we will not just summarily eliminate this baby without giving God an opportunity to do what we believe in our heart he wants to do. Are you hearing me? And so, be careful about the snapshot you might see in a person's life. And be careful from a distance judging their motives of what they're doing. Because it might look like one thing on the surface and be another thing underneath. Some things are obvious, but this, Yochebed's husband, Amram, the scripture doesn't mention him so far in those first three verses of Exodus, so it appears that he's checked out, failing to man up and do something about the situation. But Hebrews 11 said the parents acted by faith. Jochebed's actions did not look like faith actions. They looked like actions motivated by fear and doubt and unbelief. In today's climate, their actions would probably not be lauded as being done by faith, even in the church. Yet the Bible says they did what they did. By faith, so be careful. In today's climate, their actions may not have been angry enough or loud enough or disruptive enough, but the Bible says they acted by faith. Praise God for parents who fear God and walk by faith. I said, Praise God. For parents who fear God and walk by faith. If you were born having little more than that, you are abundantly blessed. So I want to honor Moses' biological mother. And I want to honor the mothers. Who've been a yoke bed in the lives of your kids. You'll do whatever it takes to protect them. You'll do whatever it takes to provide for them. You'll do whatever it takes to give them a chance to grow into what God called them to be. It, 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 it won't matter what the powers that be say. It won't matter what command or edict is, is, is delivered by a king. It doesn't 
matter how powerful the forces are that would come against your kid and, 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 and want to snuff your kid out, you're going to do what you can to keep that little one safe from harm. It's the heart of a mother. I wanted to stop there just to, to honor the Yochebeds, but that's only part of Yochebeds' story right now because she's about to do something that's just as loving, but it wouldn't seem that way to a lot of us. Verse 4. Well, uh, uh, verse 3, and then we'll read into, and we'll go into verse 4. She hid him for as long as she could. There came a point where hiding wasn't practical or feasible anymore. And when that time ran out, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in that basket and placed the basket among the reeds by the riverbank. I know if you, I love this movie, if you've seen Prince of Egypt, it makes it look like he did extreme river rafting and, and, and barely made it by hippos and, and crocodiles and everything who, 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 who he barely escaped getting eaten by them before he got into settled water. But it just says here in the Bible, and I don't begrudge them that, they took a little bit of artistic liberty, but it just says here, she, she put him in the basket and she placed the basket among the reeds in the river. It wasn't just drifting down the river, it was in there amongst the reeds where there was at least some stability. Give him an opportunity to be found. In danger of oversimplifying it, she loved him enough to give him up. Why does that matter to me? It matters to me because I am a child whose mom loved me enough to give me up. Not not completely. She was in a situation that she herself could not get out of. That was an abusive situation, and she gave up her kids. At the time, there was two of us, me and the oldest of my sister, Stephanie. And she sent us to live with her mom. Me and Stephanie did not want to be departed from our mother. We judged our mother because we felt like she chose him instead of us. And God had to deal with me in that eventually in my life, but, but, I, but, but, but I, felt, I, I felt gotten rid of. I felt devalued. I felt like my mom chose somebody else over her own kids. It wasn't until I was in my 20s and God dealt with me and many a conversation with my mom, God really convicted me there about my judgments against her it wasn't until then that I really began to see the extreme sacrifice that was to her and the love motivation behind what she did. She felt like she couldn't get herself out of that situation, but she was not 
going to allow her kids to be subject to it anymore. And she sent us to what she felt was the safest place and the most loving place we could have been aside from her, her own mom. Big mama to us. There's mama and big mama. And Big Mama became the primary mother figure for me. Up until I was an upperclassman in high school. Then Big Mama moved to Dallas. I didn't want to move to Dallas. I didn't want to start over again. I wanted to stay in Waxahachie. Another woman who was not a relative, her name is Deborah Jones. She took me in and became a mother figure to me during the period of my time from high school until I got to college. A happy Mother's Day, and I love you to all three of those ladies. I had, my grandmother had 10 girls and two boys. I had aunts everywhere. I did not lack for mother figures. You know, I didn't see it at the time, but God was mothering me through so many mother figures in my life, even though the longing of my heart was to have never been departed from the one who gave me birth. I didn't have what I wanted, but God made sure I got what I needed. And I am thankful to the role that every one of those precious women played in my life. Even You know who's another mother figure? That I can call her that now. I called her other names when I, as a young man that I, I will not share. But the woman who was responsible, well, I won't say responsible, but I was responsible. She, she was the catalyst that led to my eventual academic suspension here at Oklahoma State. Because doggone it, I wasn't getting the job done, and she knew and felt that I needed to be held accountable. And I did not need another chance. What I needed was to suffer the consequences of my actions, learn from it, and become a better man. Right? And so, while as another woman, I just her name is Martha McMillan. I'm not a big names guy. If I don't, if I don't interact with you regularly, it's it's a lottery uh, chance whether or not I'll remember your name. And that's nothing personal. That's just that's just me. I'm the embarrassed guy that when I go back to class reunions or go back to visit, people, hey Cornell, hey, you know. And then I hope they don't say, you remember me? You remember who I am? Because it, it, <laughs> I, I'm that guy. You know, but I remember her because she did what I needed done at the time, as painful as it was. And I had to go to junior college. I had to go back home and suffer the embarrassment of not living up to the standard that everyone knew I was capable of and the standard that I set for myself before I left. I left being a role model. I came back being a cautionary tale. But God did a work in me, and during that 18 months I was gone, I found out that my plan for my life 
wasn't God's plan for my life. And he finally had my attention and told me what he wanted me to do. And that, that doesn't happen if she doesn't play the part that she played, Miss Martha McMillan. And being a repentant young man, coming back, having seen how important the, that what happened to me was for me, getting with God and, and, and discovering his purpose and plan and will for my life, I got back to Oklahoma State and graduated like I should have in the first place. And I saw her. I was on campus, and I saw her from a distance. She saw me, and I could tell by the look on her face she wasn't sure what she was going to get. And I walked up to her, and I made a point, and I told her, I said, Mr. Millen, thank you for doing what you did. What you did served the purpose of the Lord in my life. And I appreciate, if, you, if it wasn't for you, who knows where I would have been. And in that tearful moment, we shared an embrace and, and uh, blessed each other uh, and everything. But the story of my life really can't be told without the role that she played in it. And I can't be the only person who has stories like that. You know, and maybe as you're thinking about it, you're, you're, you're reflecting back on it. Maybe your list is growing. More and more and more and more, whether, whether it's another relative, whether it's a, a, a neighbor, whether it's a, a teacher uh, or an educator like, like uh, uh, Miss Martha McMillan, you know, uh, I had two teachers, Miss Davenport, my fourth grade teacher. Uh, I tell you what, man, she was a short-statured lady. But I still feel the stings of that paddling she gave me outside the classroom one day. She saw potential in me, and she was not going to allow me to do anything less than live up to it. And when I was not responsible and when I failed in effort-wise, she let me have it. And uh, she didn't paddle me all the time, but she lost her mind that day. I, I, it must, I, I, I lost count at like nine or ten. She lost her mind that day. Uh, it was legal back then, y'all, so. Oh, my goodness, she lost her mind. And, 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 and I, don't, I doubt that uh, many of these ladies are still alive today, but, but uh, she was my fourth grade teacher, and you can tell you know, what I just said about her is one of the reasons you can tell that she, why she's marked in my memory. You don't forget something like that. But, um, and of course, my best friend was in that class, too, and we still, I still hear that every once in a while. But, but my advanced uh, English literature teacher, Miss Kane, is responsible for my love of literature today. <laughs> <laughs> and at this time, everybody knew I was going to college. I had letters of, I, I had um, scholarship offers everywhere and everything. And she looked, and I was guilty of a little senioritis. But that woman, as soon as I walked in her class in my senior year, she looked, she, she kept Mr. Cannon. She brought me up and she said, I said, yes, Miss Kane. She said, here's how it's going to go in my class. And I don't know if she did this by reputation, 
if my reputation preceded me, I don't know. Or she just knew what to expect. She just let me know, Mr. Cannon, I know you're kind of a big man on campus, and uh, you, you've got aspirations to go to college, and congratulations on all that, but uh, you need my class to graduate. And if you do not earn a passing grade, you will fail my class, and you'll be back here again. So here's how it's going to happen. You're going to be in my class. <laughs> you're going to do the work. You know, she just basically laid down the law. And I had senioritis in just about every other class except hers. I made an A in that class. She was an exceptional teacher, and uh, I learned so much from her. But I needed some discipline in my life other than in sports. I, for some reason, I always had that in sports, but I needed some discipline in my life. Um, in other areas, and she was one of the people that forced me and began to instill that into me and helped me see the value of the discipline that I needed in my life and how I needed to apply myself. I wasn't crazy. I was good at English. I wasn't crazy about it. I, I, I didn't appreciate it like I should have, but having to commit myself to it to the level that she demanded, right, I, I, it changed my perspective. And it's the reason why I read the hundred books that everybody should read before they die. And, and, and the reason I introduce my kids to literature and so forth that, that even they don't have to do in class. And so I'm rambling a little bit, but I'm just, I can go on. That's just, the list can get so much longer. I'm just trying to stir up in you those memories and reflections that will help you identify the different mother figures in your life. So we have, praise God for parents who fear God and walk by faith. If you have that, you are truly blessed. But even if you didn't, I want you to look back and maybe for the first time recognize where God provided that for you in the person of various women throughout your life. So she gave her boy up, put him in the river, and entrusted him to God. She believed that that boy had purpose in God. And she believed it such that, you know, she put him in the basket she basically made it a little boat where no water could get in, so it would be buoyant. He wouldn't, he wouldn't sink in it. And she trusted that God would somehow make a way. The alternative was to keep him and cling, hold, cling tight to him and never let anybody get to him, but eventually those who sought his life would get to him if she clung to him in fear. But she trusted God to him. Verse 4. And his sister, Miriam, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. 
She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Now, I won't spend as long on them, but I do want to give them some shine today. Because we have two mother figures listed in this story that don't often get highlighted as mother figures. I've heard messages on Jochebed before, but she is his mother, right? And so Miriam watched over Moses when he was vulnerable. He's, he's, he's in a process of transitioning from one mother to another, but what about the time in between? We have transitions in life. We're launching out. Sometimes as young adults, we're launching out of the house and, and we're trying to find our way. We go to college, those of us who go to college. Thank God I didn't go Greek, but, you know, if you went, if you went Greek and you were in a sorority or fraternity, they typically have house mothers. There's somebody that basically served a mother role for you in some way as you worked your way through college. They weren't mom. You didn't need them to, do, to be full out mom, but you needed someone that could serve, be a surrogate for mom in the place where you were at. Are you hearing me? But Miriam watched over Moses while he was vulnerable, and she was ready to to intervene immediately if and when the need arose. Sometimes we need people like that. They're looking out for us. They see us steering the wrong way. Hey, I wouldn't do that if I were you. They're ready to give you advice. Intervene when necessary. Somebody who has a vested interest in you. And she made sure that Moses ended up safe with someone who would raise him as a mother. I see her as a type of mother figure in his life. She watched over him. If that, if that basket began to sink, I believe she would have pounced, prevented it from sinking, did some patchwork, taken him back to the mother, done a little bit of repair work, put him back out there, give him a chance to see how things would turn out. But Pharaoh's daughter, it says she took him in. She took him in. And loved him as her own. A child that she did not give birth to. She recognized he was one of the Hebrew children. I don't know how aware she was of what was happening. As far as the, uh, the edict to kill all the baby boys that were born to the Hebrews. Maybe she knew, maybe she didn't. But she immediately recognized that this baby boy here is one of the Hebrews' children. And her heart 
was knit to him. She didn't have to. She could have let him float on down the river. She could have left him alone. But she took him in. And she loved him as if he were her own. Not everybody can is not everybody can have children. I acknowledge that and it's a hard subject to broach. Mother's Day can be incredibly difficult for someone for for a precious woman who longs to be a mother. Mother's Day can be hard to come and attend a service because it's just a reminder of that which is seemingly unattainable for you. But I want to I want to encourage you, you might not be able to biologically give birth But that's not the only thing that can make you a mother. Motherhood is what God created in you. Are you hearing me? You give give a woman a child in need, she's going to mother that child even if she's never had a child before. I tell you what, I... My eyes have been opened just watching my little girls grow into young women. They were, they they went into mother mode when they were 12 with babies. 15, they go into mother mode. They have no idea necessarily, you know, I don't, I hope they didn't know how babies were made back then, but they had no idea what went into becoming a mother, but instinctively they acted. Nurture, care, their hearts were knit to little ones that belonged to someone else. I wanted to give Pharaoh's daughter credit. Now, these are three mother figures in the life of Moses. Think about what could have been. Moses could have been fed to crocodiles. But his mother didn't accept that fate. Moses could have died in the Nile River. But Miriam watched over him and made sure that no malfunction allowed him to drown in the, in the river. Moses could have died if Pharaoh's daughter had a hard heart that was closed to him and didn't open to bringing him into her life. That could have been drama and problems that she didn't want to have. But she brought him in. And the combination of the roles that those precious women played in his life are part of the reason that he became who he became. He could not have become who he became without them playing a role in his story. I could not have become who I am today if not for the women, the many women who have played a mother figure role in my life. And I'm sure there are many of you who can relate to that as well. Uh, 
John 14, 18, God says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Right? So even if we don't have a parent, technically we may be orphans, but God said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'll come to you. You may not have your mom, but God's like, but I will mother you through my faithful servants. I will send you what you need. Even God, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote Isaiah 49, 15. God says, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget. It, as improbable as it is for a woman to forget the child that she's nursed, he said, even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Even though we may feel unseen, even though we may feel forgotten, the truth of God's word says you're not forgotten. Even if the people who shouldn't forget you forget you, I will not forget you, says the Lord. Behold, I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. You know, he's like, you know what? I'm just going I'm going to write a picture of your face on the palm of my hand. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put your name on the palm of my hand. I'm going to do everything I need to do to make sure you are never forgotten. That's the God who loves you. Amen? He's the one that will send, that has sent the mother figures in your life to be there for you when you needed them. The last scripture I will share, and then I, I have a story of a book that I love that I want to share in, in closing. Are the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. That I feel are very fitting on the subject matter that we are discussing today. And he says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. You know, that that's... That's the heart of a mother, a mothering heart that Paul is sharing with the people who he's invested his life with. You know, it's not hard to share the gospel with people. We'll make it seem harder than it is. It's not hard to share the gospel. But Paul said, we didn't just share the gospel with you. Not to make light of that, he said, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. We pour out of ourselves to you. We regard you as though you came from our own loins. We, we, we regard you as though you and, 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 and us share the same DNA. We love you like a mother loves the child she gave birth to. So, so we're invested in you. 
The people who cared enough to make a difference in your life invested in you. And you know what? We can be content with sharing the gospel and checking it off as a box, but what God really wants are people who are willing to father and mother, willing to give of ourselves, to invest in people's lives, to be a mother figure and a father figure, but Father's Day will get its day, to be a mother figure in the lives of others. Uh, you've probably already reflected back and made a list of the mother figures in your life. I want to encourage you to be a mother figure. Even if you're a mother, you can still be a mother figure for someone else. You can be a Miriam. Walk along somebody, help them out, realize they're in a turbulent time in life, they're in some transition. Watch over, care enough to invest. You can be a Pharaoh's daughter, except you're God's daughter. Knit your life to someone else's life. Be the mother for them that another, that their actual mother, for whatever reason, is unable to be. Who knows what difference you'll make in a person's life? We know what difference it made in Moses' life. All those babies that ended up being fed to crocodiles, all the, the, uh, all the dead infants and all the hardships and and uh, slavery and oppression suffered by the children of Israel. God called Moses. He grew him up. He developed him and sent him to that very same place with the command from God that said, let my people go. And he led the people to deliverance from bondage to Egypt. We love the story. We love the glory. I think it's time we also love the, those who, who gave a boost, who helped push the person along in that story. Mothers, we love you. I will finish with a little bit of a a summary about a book called Hind's Feet on High Places by Hannah Hernert. Anybody familiar with that? All right. We got <laughs> and so, so it's the main character in this book, it's an allegorical book, and I would encourage everybody uh, to read it. Uh, but it's an allegorical book, and in it, the main character is a young lady by the name of Much Afraid. She's got a crooked mouth, and she's got crooked feet. But she longs to run like a hind or run like a deer in the high places with the Lord. She hears the call of the Lord, and he's calling her to the high places so she can skip and run like him, but she can't physically 
be able to do it. She's living in this valley called uh, humiliation. It is funny. Again, I said it's an allegory. It's funny the names of all of her family members. Um, you know, she has cousins named Craven, Fear, Bitterness, Spiteful, Gloomy, an aunt named Dismal, Foreboding. And they're all living in this valley of humiliation, in bondage where they're at. She hears the call of the Savior, calling her to come to the high places, and she doesn't think it's possible. She has family members that are doing everything they can to prevent her from mustering up the courage to go. And I hope I'm not slaughtering it for those of y'all who really, really love that story. But God is calling her up. How can she do it with crooked ankles? She's got to go up the mountain to the high places. How can she do it with crooked feet? Well, the shepherd gives her a couple of guides to help her along the way. He says, you can do it. And one of the guides he gives is called Sorrow. She touches Sarah's hand, hands all cold. She's like, I don't know if I want, I don't want to go, I don't want Sarah. You know, I don't like, I don't want Sarah's help. <laughs> He's like, well, you're going to need it. He introduces her to a second guy called Suffering. That, hand, that guy's, guy's hand was cold. Too. And she said, well, I don't, I don't want suffering help either. But the shepherd told her that she was going to need their help. That those guides, in order for her to get from the valley of humiliation up to the high places so she can skip and run with the shepherd, she was going to need the love and guidance. She was going to need the guidance of suffering. And sorrow. So she went through suffering and sorrow and finally reached the high places. And when she got there, her twisted mouth became straight. Her crippled feet were straightened. She began to leap like a deer through the spiritual high places with Christ. Sorrow then transformed. Remember, sorrow was one of her guides, transformed into joy. Suffering, who guided her up to the high place, was transformed into peace. In herself, much afraid, she was transformed into glory. Grace, I'm sorry, grace and glory. And after this, and she enjoyed her time with the shepherd, she looked back down at the Valley of Humiliation, and she was sorrowful because she looked at her family, her loved ones still down there, and she said, all of them need the shepherd too. They need to be able to be in relationship with him. They need to be here in the high places, able to run and skip. But she had that age-old question, what about them? Who will go? And the and to make a, a, a long story a little less long, 
It's well past short. To make a long story a little less long, he said to her, you, you're the one that has to go. It's your job. That's why I brought you here. Go back down to the valley below and lead your family to me. There is a sequel to that book that details her descent back down to the Valley of Humiliation called Mountain of Spices, but that's a different story for a different day. But, but I was reminded of that book. It's been a long time, but I was reminded of that book when I was covering this message because he did the work that he did the redemptive work that he did, the shepherd, in much of Fred's life, he redeemed her. He transformed her. Her crooked mouth and her crooked feet. It made her able to jump around in the high places with her shepherd. full of joy and peace and grace and glory. He did that so he could then send her back down to the Valley of Humiliation and help others make the same journey. God has done a redemptive work in your heart. He's revealed himself to you. He saved you. And he enjoys and he rejoices that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and that he has intimate relationship with you and, and you're going to be with him forever. But he also, he didn't just straighten out your feet and your mouth and your heart just for your benefit. He wants you to go back down into the Valley of Humiliation. And, and we're talking about mother figures today. So as a mom, you know, I'll say as a daughter of the Lord, Right? You have motherhood in you. Maybe, maybe you have biological motherhood in you, but at the very least, you have it within you to be a spiritual mom. To be able to go back down from the high places into the valley of someone else's humiliation and show them the path to the shepherd. Amen? To help guide them. So I want to encourage you to rise up to that calling. God is calling for spiritual moms. People who will be that Martha McMillan in someone's life. People who will be a Miriam. People who will be like the daughter of Pharaoh was in Moses' life. And, and I'm looking at so many of you here today. I'm seeing, I'm seeing motherhood. I'm seeing people's destinies being able to come to pass because of the role you've played in their life. And those people will reflect back when some other minister is talking about mother figures 15 years from now. Maybe someone will recognize the women that are present in this room 
I pray it doesn't take 15, 20 years. I pray it happens every year. I'm going to ask you to stand. Father God, we thank you for mothers, the gift that they are. They are precious. They are a reflection of you and your love for us, your great care for us, Lord, your great provision. And Lord, in Proverbs 31, it says of that woman, of that mother, that her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also. Lord, we rise up and we call these precious women blessed. Whoever the people are that you have called any of these women to, to serve as a spiritual mother for, let them, as, as, as her own children would do, call her blessed. Rise up and call her blessed. Thank you, Father God, that you already called them blessed. You've placed motherhood in them, and it's motherhood in them that's going to come out and be a tremendous and abundant blessing in the lives of those who need mother figures in particular seasons, moments in their lives. No one can love you like a mother. No one. It is a love that is eclipsed only by God. Give us the grace and the wisdom and the passion, Father, to be ever grateful, ever honoring appreciative and loving toward those women who have sacrificed of themselves so that others might shine so that others might have a chance to grow and be all that they can be let it not be taken for granted let it not just be expected and as, as though it's some mundane thing, but let it be lifted up and honored for the wonderful gift that motherhood is. We treasure these women, Lord, and we ask your blessing on them. May they be fulfilled. May, may they be fulfilled uh, completely, Father God. According to your will. We give you praise and glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray and thank you. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, love you guys. Uh, happy Mother's Day uh, to all of you. Be you moms or moms-to-be, be you biological or spiritual moms, uh, I hope this was a blessing to you.
to help you expand your concept of motherhood and and um, and I hope it encourages you all.